One of my most beloved sponsors has got to be Audible. I had an Audible account long before I thought about ever getting into podcasting. And Audible has an awesome gift for all of my listeners. And if you head over to audibletrial.com forward slash jryan, you're going to get a free audiobook on them and me. All you have to do is sign up for a free trial. And if you decide that Audible's not for you, and within 30 days, you can cancel. No harm, no file, you spend no money, and you get to keep that free audiobook. Audible has hundreds of thousands of books in their catalog read by world-renowned narrators. From New York Times bestsellers to the classics, they're all on Audible. So again, head on over to audibletrial.com forward slash jryan and pick up your free audiobook today. If you're listening to me, then I know you listen to other podcasts. Don't worry, I'm not mad that you're cheating. In fact, I'd cheat on me too. But I figured I'd take the time to tell you about one of my new favorite podcasts, and that's The Rancher. Austin over at The Rancher has a passion for history and an ear for a great story. And trust me when I say this, he's a heck of a lot more eloquent with his talking than I am. From rodeo to tales of the Old West, The Rancher brings Western traditions to a whole new generation of listeners. You can find The Rancher wherever you get podcasts today. You are listening to Behind the Horse's Eyes on the Illiterate Podcast Network. Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Horse's Eyes. I am always your humble host, except today I have literally the most requested guest I have ever had on this show. I told you I was dropping a bombshell. Um, I probably have had 40 or 50 people reach out to me in the last six months. No and way! Said, and said, you've got to get Feral Aaron on the show. They, you are Feral Aaron all then. Miss Aaron O'Neill, how are you? I'm great. How are you? you you're going to make a lot of people happy, by the way. At my door. Makes me so uncomfortable, but so happy at the same time. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, I have all these people and I was like, who is this person? You know, the first, like the first couple, I would, you know, everybody's like, you need to interview my uncle. I'm like, I don't know your uncle. Yeah. Or you need to interview this person. Everybody's like, Feral Aaron, Feral Aaron, Feral Aaron. I'm like, who the hell is Feral Aaron? Just and, me. Yeah. So finally I looked you up and I saw what you're doing. I was like, holy cow, she's got to come on to the show. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So why don't you tell the little folks, you know, about yourself a little bit. We don't have to go into detail quite yet of what's really made you sort of quasi-internet famous. Um, <laughs> but yourself, your relationship with the horse coming up, all of that, what, what got you involved in horses? Um, I had a pretty horrific childhood. It was definitely um, the type of childhood that taught me a lot of lessons. And it was kind of, horses ended up being my saving grace um, and kind of the reason I'm here, that quintessential movie type of thing. Um, but they, I mean, 
they fixed me in a lot of ways. And then I discovered training. And then I decided that I would spend the rest of my life kind of fixing them the same way these horses fixed me. And here we are. <laughs> so you, you get fixed by horses. I get broken by them. Well, there's been, <laughs> listen, there's been a fair bit of that. Um, I had to break a lot of bones to build my training career. I came from nothing. So <laughs> did you, did you have a lot of help along the way or was it just something that you kind of oh, set out on your own? Nothing. You did it like, the hardest way possible, didn't you? Absolutely. But I decided from the beginning, um, that I kind of, I knew it was going to be hard. Um, so I set out in the beginning to master each level of the industry. So I started out, you know, shoveling stalls and I thought, well, I'll master the general care aspect. That's what this phase is teaching me. And then I moved on to, you know, a more managerial role and I thought, well, I'll master this. And then it kept me sane. I don't know if it was necessarily functional, but it it helped i think <laughs> there there is nothing sane about being around horses we'll call There's that not. we'll call that focus it kept you focused that's true that's true <laughs> but you have a pretty neat deal that you do and and the more i've looked into it i've tried not to delve uh too deep into my research and what you do because i wanted to honestly be genuinely surprised because everybody's like yeah. you, you got you got to see what she does and a lot of people do not know about the feral horses of Appalachia. Yeah. Could let's 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 just dive right into it and, <laughs> and tell us about the feral horses of Appalachia. Why are there feral horses of Appalachia? And then and let's jump in a little bit about what you are doing with these horses. So I call them the feral wildlings because the name in and of itself is a bit touchy. Um so there's essentially thousands and thousands of horses that are just on strip mine sites across Appalachia. Um, and that includes uh, the majority of Eastern Kentucky is kind of the hot spot. There's more horses in that area than I think it's New Mexico, Colorado, and Utah combined and Arizona for the big Western states for Mustangs. Um, and then that panhandle of southwestern Virginia and then the border of West Virginia in that very most southwestern kind of pocket. Um, and their adversities and origins are one of very many layers. Um, so the original, original herds ended up there because you know, these hills and hollers that make up coal country, it's not very conducive to large livestock. So it was a very common practice for people to turn their livestock, horses, cows, things like that loose during the summer months. And, you know, they'd bring them back in for the winter. Um, and then they all sort of had an unspoken rule about stallions. And it, it was very much a checked and balanced thing within the communities. And it was great. And then over time, you know, people would maybe not really have a lot of hay stored up. So they'd leave them out, you know, through the fall and, and then, you know, winter would roll around and, and things like that. But the majority of the horses there today um, originated from times of economic crisis in Appalachia. Um, and these, these counties where these surface mine sites are, it's amongst the poorest areas you can ever go in the United States of America. I mean, it's, I'm from Maryland, 
and it's pretty cushy there, I would say. Like, you're pretty close to the capital. There's more horses in Maryland, yeah. you know, per acre than any other state. Um, so to go into Appalachia, into these counties, it, it was earth shattering to see. Um, so the people really already have nothing. So during times of economic crisis, particularly 2008, when, you know, the recession hit and it was, you know, hey, you couldn't get it. It was $200 for a round bale. And these regions, they just couldn't support it. So what happened was there was a, a mass amount of domestic stock just turned loose because mostly out of desperation, um, it was better than them starving in a stall or, or, you know, a little pasture in the back. They couldn't afford to feed them. And from there, just like any other feral domestic animal or population, it just grew wildly out of control. Um, and that's sort of where we are today. Like I've cataloged personally over 3,000 horses and my numbers, you could pretty much double that at this point. Um, I can't 100% do that because I, I haven't cataloged 6,000. Um, but, you know, the 3,000 horses that I have cataloged and documented, um, probably around 75 to 85% are generationally feral animals, you know, trace back many, many, many generations of that. Um, and then now with the current economic status, I'm already starting to see new herds surfacing that were clearly domestic drop-offs um, yeah. and it's already starting. And I think this time it's probably gonna be worse because in 2008, when they were dumping horses, there was a very small population on the site. Um, so now the sites are already overcrowded. They're already mass populated. There's there's no resources really. Very to easy. To, very easy to end up with uh, what I like to call a Cumberland Island situation. Exactly. Where there's literally no resources. Exactly. And, and you're you're talking about, and I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, um, no, no. <laughs> but and I I just want to reiterate for my audience that if that are all over the country i am and these days it is considered um an ethnicity i am ethnically appalachian because yeah. you know by they say now you know by definition appalachians are an ethnicity because they have their own distinct culture and, and this and the other. I, I don't buy it but you know yeah. i like to say well you know i am ethnically appalachian um Same, and yeah. I, yeah so i have uh i have witnessed what you're talking about yeah literally having nothing and i think that's one of the abilities that how appalachian people culturally have survived is they've learned to to cut the fat exactly and as all yeah. get out <laughs> and unfortunately sometimes that turns to you know well i'm not going to shoot it but uh i will just yeah. uh i'll let it go to its own devices yeah the, and, the, and it's the same with dogs and cats and things like that out there. You see the same problem. There's just, you go through any town and there's just feral dogs everywhere and, and cats and everything like that. Oh yeah. You, you um, know, in a lot of these little towns, it might be one mill and the pay might be okay. And it's keeping everybody above water and they can afford a couple of luxuries and all it takes is yeah. one layoff. And half of that town is literally unemployed. And I don't exactly. think a lot of people grasp that, that we're not talking about people that are 
just pieces of crap turning animals out. We're talking no. about a lot of people that have seriously, it's their only resort. It's either kill the animal. There's nobody to give it to because everybody's as poor as you are. And that's the thing. And I, I, I think a lot of other people that have kind of tried to beat the drum on this situation, um, they've made the locals out in a lot of times to be these terrible people. And they're really not. They're doing the best that they can with what they have. And they have nothing. Um, and I've even witnessed, you know, people, they'll go to the bread factories and they'll get all the like the stale bread or what doesn't sell and stuff like that. And they'll go, you know, give it to the feral herds. And these are people that they probably haven't eaten that day. Yeah. And they're, they're burning their time, their fuel to go take care of these horses that they knew that their great grandfather dropped off, you know, in the nineties or the eighties even. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people forget too, that, you know, as a society, not too long ago, it was not uncommon to maintain large numbers of horses in feral yeah. herds and then gather them just like you were saying in here exactly. in South Carolina, uh, with the, with the marsh tacky, the marsh tacky is a fine example. It was not a highly coveted horse and they were managed in feral herds. And when, People found good ones or if it was times when they could go out and they needed a saddle horse or a horse to plow with they were there so you went and got yeah. one you know the same way with you know the banker horses like the ashinka teague and the cumberland horses and yeah and really the only one of all of those horses that were managed that way that are still in decent numbers would be like the florida cracker yeah so what exactly outside of you're cataloging these horses and yeah. I've, I've unfortunately seen some of the 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 hard decisions that you make with some of these horses what what else are you guys doing with these guys um so all of this actually started um with resource intervention i thought okay the numbers of horses i've seen we've now moved past the point where let's gather them all and find them homes we're far beyond that it will never happen they're there, they're there to stay. So my thinking is, what can I do on a small scale that's effective, safe, and will make a difference? So my stomach basically doesn't wrench every time I'm on a, on a site or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and that manifested into mineral intervention. And I found through mineral intervention, um, there's, there's just been so many things that I never even would have imagined that minerals affected. Um, it started out as, you know, these, these lands are completely stripped. Like it's a mountain that they've blown up and like, it's now all stripped away. They went through reclaim process, but what you're left with is a very nutrient lacking soil. Mm -hmm. So that means any kind of forage that grows on it is equally mineral and, and nutrient lacking. Yeah. Um, so through giving these minerals, I've been able to see body score improvement by at least two to three points, um, over the course of around six months, uh, that, so I, I found the horses are now able to absorb what they're intaking. Um, they're not eating all the bark off of trees anymore. The land in and of itself is able to recoup. The horses aren't getting out into the, the rural highways, which was an incredible part of, you know, starting this mineral thing. 
because that's a major, major issue for these herds and the communities that surround the herds. It's very dangerous. Um, and they came down to the roads for the, the salt and, and road brine and minerals and stuff. So we were able to meet that need for them, keep them off of, the off of dangerous areas. Um, and then I also found that the full live full success rate has increased this year for herds that have had a full year of mineral and resource intervention. Um, we put out massive amounts of selenium blocks too, mm -hmm. because the foals and the young stock, they were almost like zombies when you would interact with them. Like they were very almost neurologic, like very lethargic, just not doing great. And that led to, you know, they didn't have their wits about them. So they would end up in really bad situations and emergency situations, which then would cost thousands. So you can almost cut that out by just simple selenium blocks um, that cost, you know, 15 bucks at tractor supply. And you save yourself a lot of time. The foals are healthier and just, it's just been, it's just been wild um how much that small little thing has helped um we're launching a in the field worming program this fall hopefully um probably around the end of august we'll we'll start putting out um feed through blocks that will deworm entire herds and entire sites so the parasite load um can kind of curve some because that's insane out there and then the largest thing we do is assist whenever needed. You know, there's a lot of very awful things that happen to these horses. And there's, you know, again, you're in a region where there's no help. Like there's not a lot of animal control. There's not a lot of law enforcement. There's really nobody to call. Mm -hmm. um, and more specifically, there's nobody to call that could go out on foot, track an injured horse for hours and hours, and make the right medical decision. Um, I, I would almost imagine that a lot of these horses are in areas where you people wouldn't even deer hunt because they're pretty remote. Exactly. Because I was uh, just thinking, you know, hunters could be a, a good help to you guys, but they're probably in areas where people don't even hunt because just getting in and out, especially with a deer, if you did take a deer, yeah. it would be a nightmare. And even still, you know, a lot of the, the natural wildlife on these sites where the horses are present the horses have just depleted it to the point where even the wild, the natural wildlife looks awful and they're just not thriving either. And that, yeah, um, and that's, and you know, and that's where you kind of got to go, we got a problem. Exactly. Um, but there's just, there's nothing. There's, there's, you know, it's a region that built America, but America has sort of left them behind. You know, and um, this is, and that's a great, I'm glad you said that because this should no, and, and it's a good reminder, you know, Appalachians as a whole pride themselves on wanting to be left alone, Yeah, but they don't want to be forgotten. Exactly. You know, and they still need help and, and, and they do. And there's, you know, it's just, you know, I watched my family, my family's from white County, Georgia, nestled straight into, you know, the Appalachians there. Hill country. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, um, partake than all the uh <clears throat> quintessential activities uh Appalachians are known for um, Fair enough. <laughs> yeah and you know um but with that said I still see the way my family reacts to certain things yeah and it, it is you know and it is very culturally different 
from uh, the rest of the country. You're, Certainly. You're not, it's culturally diverse. It is. And, but culturally different uh, from everyone else they all almost, at the same time. They almost froze time in Appalachia. Like, I feel like you're almost a couple generations behind in a lot of ways. Um, and they're just very removed. They're not swayed by the popular vote. They're not swayed by, mm -hmm. you know, social media because they don't have that. You know, they're just living. Yeah, and part um, of them, they don't really, you know, and honestly, if you really kind of think about it, I honestly kind of go, that must be nice in some ways. Right? <laughs> um, because they, they wake up and they live for that day. And yep. they live for their family and they, they live do. for their friends and, and what they like to do and be damned anything else because they exactly. are, you know, you're not going to tell an Appalachian what to do. He's you know, he will tell they you what he's not you. going to like, do. That's yeah. all that's going to happen. <clears throat> and, you know, and that is a great thing to bring up, you know, a good segue through horses is that there is whole swaths of this country that has completely been forgotten. These are not privileged people. These are not yeah. people of any real means. Now, there are people of means that are nestled all through Appalachia. Of course. Um, but, but as a whole, no. Yeah. These are very secluded, very rural people that, <clears throat> you know, I have family in Northeast Alabama that is still considered part of Appalachia. Yeah. According to the council. And they are 30 years removed from I'm in Aiken, South Carolina. I, I, I'm as about as yeah. posh as it gets, you know, to be a, a horse person. It's like Maryland, but warmer. <laughs> it's like, it's like, well, it's like Lexington, but warmer. That's true. Yeah. And, um, or, or, um, uh, Ocala with less humidity. That's true. So, but it, you less know, mosquitoes. <laughs> yeah. And then when, like I said, when I travel, uh, and go, I was in, um, north georgia a couple of weeks ago looking at uh some county records for some family and just riding through and seeing people in and out at the stores and seeing just seeing vehicles you know yeah and, and places that are considered very touristy you can tell local from tourist immediately yeah <laughs> you know and then i didn't mean to hijack you know we're gonna no, get back to horses but i think this is a, a great way to explain what this what is actually going on exactly that, in nobody's mind is is anybody really trying to commit a cruel act no and i found honestly a lot of these people that you know in our mind have been made out to be these you know removed people and, and they're just not worth anything or maybe that's not the right term but they're just it's it's a false stereotype well, because to a, a lot of these, you hit the nail kind of on the head because to a lot of politicians, Appalachians aren't worth anything because they're not enough. Exactly. But their votes, I mean, and that's another part of this is there's a lot of corruption within the counties as well because who's checking? Like, no one, nobody cares. It, no it's one. one of those things. And just the region as a whole. I don't know, but I, I have found through helping these horses, it's been able to get, you know, a lot of help to the communities and the communities at first, you know, weren't very open to mm -hmm. any part of help or like me doing anything down there, especially with the horses. Um, because and it's, especially it, being an outsider. Exactly. And that was a very big barrier I had to trust. Get trust is a very big thing. It is. 
and I'm I'm a young blonde woman like if you met me you would be Mm -hmm. like there's no way this girl is gonna do any part of what she says she does like it's just one of those things so I think for every stereotype you know Appalachia gets they also sort of gave me the same um but I just slowly chipped away and let the work speak for itself and a lot of these people that you know, once would meet me with guns drawn, they've become some of my best, you know, resources in these counties. It's a, it's an action over words type culture because they have been lied to and manipulated through history. They have, and it's still happening, you know, like the coal industry, it's still present, but it's moving forward. Like it's not as prevalent, you know, as it was in the 80s or 90s. But now the solar companies are coming in and it's the same song and dance that the, you know, the coal companies gave. And then before that, it was the the railroad companies and, and, the, and you know, the lumber companies. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and the, there's just, it's a region that's so easily taken advantage of because mm-hmm. nobody's double checking. There's no other option. And if you're given an option, even if it's not a great one, you have to take it or you just die you, out. You starve. You literally exactly. starve. Um, and it's, it's sad. So how big, how big is your team? Me. <laughs> just you, really. For the most part, um, at least 100% of the in the field work is just me, the cataloging, the resources. Um, there are a couple people that have come in to help me with some of the admin stuff and we're seeking nonprofit status, which is something, you know, I know how to do the field work. I know how to fix Appalachia in a, in, in a way of the horses, um, but the office stuff, that's not. It's if, not my forte. Well, we get it's the great thing about having a show that's like top 25 in its genre. You get all kinds of people that listen. So if there is a lawyer that handles nonprofits <laughs> out there that wants to work pro bono, get in touch <laughs> with me free. and I will get you in touch with uh I'm sure there's a horseman lawyer out there. I'm sure there's their way around a, a 5013C. Yeah. That can uh get with me and let me get you and Aaron hooked up together. <laughs> Because we need to make this happen. So uh, really cool news. We have our federal tax ID back, which is one of the biggest steps to all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, we filed for articles of incorporation, which is the very last thing. And I've been assured that by Friday this week, um, we'll be on the books as a nonprofit in there you the go. state of Kentucky. <laughs> there you go. Time to set up that... Uh set up the uh board of directors and get going we have the board we all the infrastructure is there um but a lot like the people within appalachia our number one roadblock to absolutely everything mm-hmm. is cash flow yeah so that's where we're at <laughs> well that's why you're here we gotta get the word out on this because as soon as yeah. you get that nonprofit status then you can start bringing in that that sweet sweet donations i'm hoping it'll help we we're still operating off of donations it's just not tax deductible um but it's very limiting because people kind of want that right off and a lot of the bigger um 
you know, donors or, or sponsorships and stuff like that, or, or grants even, you have to have the 501. <laughs> yeah, you got to have the 501. So I want to, um, I want to extend something to you right now. I'm an idiot. I don't know if you've noticed this. You follow my social media. No. Um, and But here's what I want to do. Uh, and you can say no. Um, I want to come up. I want you to put me to work in the field. And I, okay. will, I will bring a fat check with me. <laughs> well, let's get a date. Um, I'm not sure I'm how gonna fat I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to like finagle some folks around here because no. That, Daddy's, Daddy's broke. Yeah, that's a quarter tank. I look at money as miles. Um, I'll, I'll bring some selenium blocks. Fair enough. <laughs> and uh, I'll see if I can't rebel rile some some donations. That would be absolutely incredible. But even if not, um, I think if you came out and saw it, I've had a few people out there, and it it's one of those things. I can sit here and tell you how bad it is or how crazy it is that it even exists or what these horses go through. Mm -hmm. But when you are on the middle of a site that's tens of thousands of acres, there's no town around for hours and there's just all of these horses and you see them and you yeah. see their faces and you, it changes you. Well, it's, I mean, um, you know, it's an opening, it's an eye-opening experience for a lot of people who have never seen, you know, where I live, I have dealt with and, and seen firsthand the Cumberland Island horses and what zero, yeah. what zero management looks like. Because it's not <laughs> no, that is a federally protected seashore, which means those horses yeah. cannot be touched. Yeah. And, you know, uh, average lifespan, 12 to 15 years. Yeah. Um, a, a one in six or something like that, or one in eight full survivability rate. And then yeah. within, within the first year, uh, that one, I think there's a one in 10 that it will live to, to see its first year. You've got mares are not bagging. Yeah. You know, and there's nothing to eat there, no. you know, and then you got to look at it this way too. the, in on the east coast and i'm sure it probably is where you live in delaware too uh you have sea oats well i'm in central maryland okay oh maryland so no not delaware any sort of no okay well I'm, if you're in maryland then i'm pretty sure you have what's called sea oats on on the shore there yeah um, and they are a protected fauna um they're they're an endangered plant oh, no. <laughs> and so we so now the cumberlands they're eating them yeah and then they're well, destroying no there's nothing else and they're destroying the dunes yeah and then they're starving to death and you're like you know if you just let us move them inland we can protect yeah. we can protect them as a unique species of horse yeah and i know this is slightly different than your scenario but i'm bringing this up because it's almost an ident identical situation it, it what really happens is. when you do nothing it's um, not good no, and I hear people all the time screaming, um, you know, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I am a huge fan of everything the BLM does. No. But I will sit here and tell you that it sometimes it is better, better than, than nothing. nothing. And it's kind of a situation that was dumped on their plate and they're making That's the best out of it. About it. They well, didn't want the job. Well, it's not their job. They're, you know, their job not. is to be their job is to be the mediator of public lands and the public and the natural resources of that exactly. land. Exactly. Not feral horses. Exactly. You know, and just like you were saying, you you can't let hundreds of horses in an area that can sustain 50. 
Yep. And then you've got natural, you know, uh, you've got animals that um, should be there, you know, out west. Yeah. Bighorn sheep, deer, elk, um, what few bison are left, if there's any. Out, I, I'm, I'm not an expert in that, but. I don't know how. You know, is it fair that, that is it fair that those water sources get spoiled? And I hear people all the time talk about, well, move sheep and, and cows, you know, off the land. But their ranges don't they're, they're, overlap. They don't if overlap. Like it's very seldom that they overlap. (laughs) Sarah Sarah made that video. She made a video about that. And she she just laid it over and then I screenshotted just that part she laid it over. And I show that to people all the time. And I go, they don't overlap. Yeah. These horses are in areas where they feel protected. Yeah. They're not gonna feel protected where there's cows and sheep and and, an open grassland. I mean well, and that's competition for them. And horses they won't stay where there's competition. You see it in Appalachia with the elk. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's a high elk population, you won't have a high horse population and vice versa. And in the, um, and in the, and that's considered kind of the more of the Southern range still of Appalachia. And there aren't many elk there anymore. There's not. The state of Kentucky released, I don't know, a couple hundred and that grew to a couple thousand. Um, but what, some of a lot of the the work that I do is basically just ecological study like what are these horses actually doing to this land how is it affecting everything else within this ecosystem and what I found is that you know with the minerals and, and stuff like that when the herds become healthier so does the land and when the land becomes healthier so does the natural wildlife so in areas where you know, for the last 18 months, there hasn't been elk because the herds, the horse herds have just decimated the whole site. You know, this spring, the site's a lot healthier. The the herds are moving and rotating on their own and elk are starting to come down out of the mountains. Yeah. So that is a really cool testament to, you know, it's not just about the horses. It's about the entire picture of, of everything. Yeah. Because, you know, obviously it's at this point, the, the option is take care of the horses in place. Exactly. Because, I mean, let's just face it, rescues are overrun and where those horses are, you that would be a nightmare. It would be a nightmare to try to get those horses out of there. You would kill well, more thing, than you could capture. Like, it's, if it's so hard to put into words the situation there because so often I hear, well, why don't you just catch them all? And I'm like, you know, that's kind of been the course of action. Like that's been the only quote unquote management that's been done through other rescues is, you know, every once in a while they'll be able to intake a herd. And that's wonderful for that herd. That's right. But when you have 15 herds on a single site and there's 12 sites within that county and there's a hundred sites within that state that one herd it doesn't mean much to anything else like yeah it's just it's wild yeah no and you know i think a lot of people they're so they're so removed from exactly the, the realities of this stuff that when you start talking about you know if, if it was um Shavalsky's horse out there yeah Shavalsky's horse would just be fine you know yeah <laughs> but when we start talking about the descendants of of domestic animals 
yeah yeah they can they can make it they will find a way there there's there's still some programming in that dna that says survive yeah but the, but the, it's not good it's not good <laughs> and not only that but they have been bred generationally bred yeah to not be as hardy as something exactly. like Shavalsky's horse and how i always put it to people is you know, you look outside and you see your horses in your barn. Think of all of the things that you as a human being and owner provide for that animal. Oh, my that horses are so now, soft. Well, that's the thing. Horse, domestic horses are pugs as to wolves. Like, yeah. it's the same, but it's it's not the I don't, same. I don't know. My like, my red mare is kind of like a chihuahua. That's, that's a she, good she's a, she, she's a little She's a little bitey. Yeah. <laughs> But it's been bred out of them. Yes. Like you couldn't turn your chihuahua loose in the bushes and be like, okay, could you, you're could you a descendant of something that could once live here. You'll yeah. be fine. Like, I don't know, though. Could you imagine a feral herd of chihuahuas in Appalachia, though? That would be the most frightening thing on the planet. They would probably do pretty well. Some of the rabbits out there. That would be the most could... frightening thing in the world is just a feral herd of 100 chihuahuas coming at you. Oh, honestly... Worst case scenario, I think, for Appalachia. Yeah. I'd rather see a hundred pit bulls than I would a hundred chihuahuas. I don't know. I was on a site in Mingo County, West Virginia, and there were just all these feral dogs, and you could tell it was generational. Like mm -hmm. they weren't, they were like wild dogs. Yeah. And most of them were really skittish, like acted a lot like a coyote would or something. Like they'd yeah. see you from a distance and then be gone. Um, but I was driving through in these two pit bulls and keep in mind, I'm literally on top of a mountain in the middle of nowhere. There's no humans like very far out there. And these two pit bulls just come running out of the tree line and start attacking my truck as I'm trying to drive away. Holy cow. And I was like, I'm not getting out here at no, all. Like no. not a place for humans to be. Yeah, no, no, um, no, no. no, no. So what, what is, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, so what is, um, is there a plan or is there something that future wise, uh, and I'm not trying to back you into a corner. This is yeah. not it at all. Um, so let's say, you know, that the herds do get healthier, the land gets healthier, mm -hmm. but the numbers grow. They will. Is and there, will is there a plan? Down. There is. So I have a five year plan. Okay. And it basically goes off of a couple of key attributes. First and foremost, we need to get the herds healthy. Mm -hmm. um, multitude of reasons, keeps them out of the roadways, reduces stress on um, the communities, the land, the herds are less likely to wander into bad areas. Um, and then it also greatly lessens injury, emergency intervention, things like that, which are it's it's tough like when there's when things get hurt or you need to intervene it's it's wild i mean and it's normally beyond repair by the time we get a call um so first and foremost continuing intervention introducing worming and then um hopefully starting a a darting birth control method for the generationally feral herds um so there are still herds out there today that are claimed or owned um, domestic stock that have been turned loose. And 
we we don't mess with them it's one of those things we just it's not safe we can't at this moment so for the generationally feral getting that population curvature is going to be critical um overall you know targeting high population areas high density areas removing by roughly 20 percent seems to be the, the the key number um and then moving forward, getting some type of sanctuary set up in the future, almost like Sky Dog Sanctuary, um, because of the number of horses that are going to have to come out of this, this area in the first, you know, 10-year blimp of, you know, getting this management program up and going. There's going to be a lot that just domestic life isn't going to work for them, and they need a place to go. Um, and the other thing with that is, you know, you start pulling herds that need out for one reason or another, um, and then the rescues become saturated and, you know, a feral horse coming into a rescue is going to just suck resources away because you have a minimum of 90 day training you, you're going to have to do just to get it to a point where it's safe for the general public to interact with. You have um, major parasite load issues. So that's gonna take a lot of time and things like that. All of the mares are bred um, and all of the mares have foals and yearlings still nursing in areas where mineral and, and intervention like that hasn't been able to be reached. Um, so it's very taxing on the rescues and they get saturated very fast. So having a place where we can kind of you know, just turn things loose and say, you know, when a rescue opens up that has space, we can network from there. Um, and then the overall goal is, you know, start to get legislative change. You know, it's going to be very slow and to be honest, at first, not very ineffective because we can, you know, introduce bills and things like that. Um, but there's nobody there to enforce it. So, that's another layer of the plan. Um, and then the, the true biggest part is get these communities the help that they need so this doesn't happen. Um, so that this isn't their last resort and get them the resources they need to prevent this because prevention is, is going to be critical moving forward, especially into this you know next recession or whatever is about to happen. Um, you know, if we can get these communities what they need, there won't be another mass, you know, abandoned spike of, of domestic horses. Um, and you're talking about, you know, trying to get some legislators involved. I, <laughs> I, I wish you the best of luck. We have been trying for years. Uh, it's going to be slow. The Cumberland, possible. yeah, the Cumberland horse falls under the district of Georgia's representative from the Savannah area. And, I, you know, we all sit back and see them spend millions upon millions of dollars on the dumbest crap. Yep. And they couldn't even allot a couple hundred thousand dollars just for mineral or something. Yeah. I mean, even some round bell. I mean, you could have went out there and went and bought $50,000 worth of last year's round bells and set exactly. them out. And it was better than what they had. And you could have been a folk hero. And yeah. I don't think what they understand is when you do things like that, you can 
you know, you can draw votes from the other side. That's kind of the angle. That's I the think angle I take. Legislation. That's I am be what we're gonna do. And I think most people right now is out there has figured out how I stand politically. I hate them all. Same. I I, I think uh, having a two party system is the dumbest thing in the world. We've definitely far moved past it. Yeah, I, in you today's know, America. And Eileen. And a lot of people call me a kook, but I lean probably more libertarian these days than anything, yeah. because I don't really care what other people do as long as it doesn't really affect me or anyone else. And you're not pressuring yeah. anyone to do anything. And I look at all these politicians and I look at what they do. And, and this is a great segue in what you're about to face and what we have faced for years with the Cumberland Island horse is that you'll get lip service. And you're yep. probably going to get lip service for years because that lip service sounds good because if they promise it, you'll keep voting for the promise. Exactly. And, and you're never going to get anything out of it. And instead of, you know, they will go, I don't know, I forget the last stupid thing um, that guy did in Georgia in that area, but it was like $1.5 million. And somebody, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Somebody had done the, somebody had done the math and, they could have helped the Cumberland horse for a year for right at a hundred grand. Yep. And nothing was ever done. It's one of those things, unless you can face them with, I think what differs between Appalachia and the Cumberland horses in Appalachia, it's not federal, um, which makes it trickier in a lot of ways because a lot of the areas are technically private land. Um, but they're owned by, you know, big box stores that then manage it oh, through yeah. a management company and, and whatever. And, and you're going to get kicked back a lot, too, it's because then it becomes more of a municipal or a county issue. And then yep. they're not the going to. the counties don't have the infrastructure. No, and not only that, but they're not going to pass any ordinance that has to do with anybody's private property. They won't. And they can't. And that's. I think it, it's a blessing and a curse while it makes things difficult um, at first for change. I find it's a blessing in a lot of ways because I know that BLM or something like that or a federal thing that tends to roadblock progress and change mm -hmm. and things like that, these herds can't be touched by them mm -hmm. because it, they are on private land. And, you know, the route that I've I've taken is we're not going to get anywhere within the state for a very long time. It's very, very slow to change in Appalachia and they're very resistant to it. Um, so I've gone the other way and said, that's fine. I'm going to continue to do this work. However, I'm going to reach out to these corporations and remind them of their liability that they now hold for all of the, the horses on their site. Um, because they've been there for, I think in Kentucky, it's like four weeks or something. And then technically, if an animal's been on your property for four weeks, you own it. Um, and I've had a lot more success there than I have within the state. Because oh, yeah. I can go to these corporations love it. style and be like, hey, just so you're aware this is happening. And just so you know, you own 500 horses that are getting hit in the highway and people are feeding and getting bitten by feral stallions, um, it's really bad and you're liable, but don't worry. Here's the solution. Sign this piece of paper 
that says, you know, what I'm doing in my program can intervene. They become the hero because they're progressive and blah, blah, blah. That's right. I can do what I need to do. And their liability is kind of, it's not dissolved, but it it's better. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's perfect because here's the thing. So it's Ryan. I'm going to sneak into the middle of this episode. Aaron doesn't know about this. So here's the deal. Most of you know I have a merch store now. We sell all kind of t-shirts over there. You, you name it. When this show drops, there's going to be a uh, it's going to be a special shirt over there. It's going to be the Feral Appalachia shirt. For as long as that shirt is up in the store, I am going to donate 100% of the proceeds from the sale of that t-shirt alone to Aaron and her cause. I'm also going to take 50% of all the proceeds from the entire store for the month of July. And that is also going to be added to it, and I'm going to send that to her as well. So check the link in the show notes to take you over to the Mediocre Horseman store. You'll be able to find the Feral Appalachia shirt or any other shirt you want. And uh, let's, uh, let's raise a little money for Aaron. Yet one side loves... One side loves any 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 way you can save a buck. Yep. And the other and side loves the, the other side loves anything that's remotely similar to progress, even even if you're regressing, but it looks like progress. Yeah. All about it. So, no, that's to me. I love that idea. And yeah. through that, I can bypass the state too, because there is current legislation in Kentucky um, regarding the herds, but it's it's very loose. It's good, but it's very cumbersome at the same time. Like, for example, to if I got a call right now that there was a, a horse that was, you know, fell off a mountain but lived and its leg is broken, in order for me legally to enter and intervene in any way and remove that animal, I would have to go in, document what happened, you know, supply a magistrate ample evidence, um, you know, probably get the state vet involved to some degree go before the judge the judge would have to sign it over we remove the horse and now the horse has to remain in the state of kentucky for two weeks on a stray hold where we can medically do nothing um and at any point anybody off the street can be like oh that's my horse they don't because there's a giant massive vet bill involved but it's very hindering so I think going to the corporations directly has saved a lot of that hassle because I have direct permission from the people that own this land. Technically they own the horses. It's not a stray animal and I can act immediately. No permission after that initial green light from them and the horses get helped right away. There's no, there's no stray, there's no weight, there's nothing. Um, and it's kind of an avenue nobody's thought to take before. Um, and nobody's just gone to these corporations and said, you know, you have a problem, but also here's a solution. You're quasi you know, providing a service to them. I mean, a legitimate exactly. service to them. Exactly. I think with time, it is almost, I, I've built the program almost as like a consulting type of thing in a lot of ways mm -hmm. um and a service because i think in the future there's a lot of 
opportunity there for massive widespread change across all of the sites um, that won't happen if we just keep blasting to the state look how sad this is like they don't care how sad it is there's lots of sad things in appalachia and, and the very bottom of the list yeah is a bunch of horses living on a mountain somewhere on a strip mine well and it kind of it kind of comes full circle to what we were talking about earlier you've got entire groups of people that are starving to death and the exactly. last thing the state wants to hear is about a bunch of feral horses and that's the thing the level of adversity that the the communities face from you know it's a massive drug area overdose things like mm -hmm. that the the child the child care system oh my gosh like the foster care and things like that and in the poverty and the drinking and the just all of it it's it's massive mm -hmm. and you know at any time there might be a single trooper or two troopers you know or officers in an entire county which is insane you know, and they're dealing with domestic violence or someone left this baby on the neighbor's front porch or like oh, yeah. all of these things that are critical human needs um, that have to come first. It's just how it has to be. So if somebody wants to get involved, they want to donate, they want to help any way they can. How do they get in touch with you? Um, the best way is through Facebook. Um, so my training business kind of turned into this so you can find it at Appalachia Legacy Initiative let me no I don't think that I said that right Appalachian Legacy Initiative on Facebook um, and through email everything should be on there um, ways to donate help more information um, and that's where a lot of the updates and, and stuff are really coming from the most and I'll make sure that's in the show notes too for everyone. Check the show notes and uh, there'll be a link there where awesome. you can you can get in touch with Aaron. Aaron, is there anything else you want to tell the people? You've got their ear. Send, send help. SOS from Appalachia. I think it's the entire horse community's responsibility to step up for these horses and, and assist and help um, because it's humans that, you know, got the horses into this this state that they're in and it's our responsibility to lend a hand and get them out of it the best we can well i would love to and i mean this sincerely this is not lip service i would love to come up this fall and you definitely should i would love to see firsthand what's going on i'd love to get involved i don't know in what capacity here in south carolina well, I could get involved. Gather. that's what uh, we'll do that's what we'll do that's right i would see i would love that do y'all gather uh do y'all gather on horseback or no no, so that's another really interesting part of, you know, this program. I'm taking a completely different stance to the way we're interacting with these horses, the way we're gathering and, and everything like that. Um, my personal horse, Goose, was career-endingly injured um, March of 2021 um, on a gather on horseback. And it was one of those things, it really made me sit down and think, this is very dangerous. There's very low percentage of success here. Um, the, the herds we're dealing with are very stressed, but first and foremost, that's their very first moment of domestication. That's the first time any human has ever told them what direction to go, what to do, anything like that. Um, 
So I have since developed a gathering method that is very different. So I actually go out with the herd, um, typically over the course of a week, I camp on site with the herd. I follow them for days and days, integrate myself within the herd. And then by the time the pen comes in, I'm able to move an entire herd of feral horses on foot. I mean, miles and miles and into a pen. That is um, nothing short of impressive, by the way. It, it's wild. It shouldn't work, um, but it does. And what I found is, you know, through my training career, I've dealt with a lot of feral horses. I've dealt with Mustangs and domestic ferals and ferals of all different levels. Um, but dealing with a horse that's been caught using this method where there's no stress, there's no fight, there's no panic, there's nothing you know, domestic life comes easier to them because there's not that initial fear trauma attached to humans. Um, it's very, it's, it's different. It's kind of wild. <laughs> now, if we could figure out a way to make that work on mass. I know. And I know, I think, and that's the problem. I think it, it, they face out West is it is, they would love to do that. It's, I don't, it just doesn't try to do but that. When on you're mass. taking a thousand horses in at a time, it would take you six months and you would and need a hundred people. And that's the thing. And where are you going to find a hundred people that can track that understand herd dynamic and behavior that are going to be willing to do something like that on foot. You're going to need a hundred of maybe the three or 4,000 that are in the country. Exactly. Good luck. Cause exactly. I can't do, I can't do that. I've been a horseman 20 years. I can't do that. <laughs> you maybe could. I don't know. I, I might have a good teacher. We'll see. We'll, we'll see this fall. I'm serious. I want to come up. I, I, I want to do it. I think it'd be great. Um, yeah. So, and it is not for clout. I just want to do no. it. <laughs> no, I think it, it's one of those things. I think the more people like you, yourself that have a voice on, you know, on this platform, if we can get people to see it, to listen, to preach it, and just start turning heads. Because I think once people understand what's happening, mm -hmm. it's going to be. Can, can, I, can I be honest with you? Why I want to come up and help, even if, if, if I come up and I help a weekend, do you yeah. really want to know the reason why? Maybe. Be because <laughs> no, and, and maybe you'll appreciate this is I have seen what happens firsthand with the Cumberland and I yeah. want to be on the ground floor to prevent that from ever happening again. Before someone passes some that. sort of legislation back door to where yep. these horses are untouchable. Exactly. And to be honest with you, we're we're close. Because I all mean, it takes is one person whose mind and heart are not aligned correctly and yep. they pass some sort of protection act. Exactly. And it seems like a great idea. In theory, yes. In theory. But, but you dooms. then make it illegal for the right people to help. And I don't want to see that happen because with people like you showing that you can make this work without anybody else getting involved. Yeah. That's what I want to be. That's what I want to be a part of. Well, let's do it. I'll drag <laughs> Jessamine Rice with me. She's more cowgirl than I'll ever be. Oh. Uh, I'll see if I can't see if I can't grub up a nice little group of people. That would be a ton of fun. So I do have a very interesting and fun group of stallions coming in this fall for a gather and you, it should be you lost me at stallion 
Oh, but it's I'm so, they're so cool out there. I mean, they will eat you alive if you do the wrong thing or you aren't mindful. Okay, so they're but like they're mares. So okay. They are, but the mares, <laughs> the stallions are just picture a bunch of frat boys, like just roaming around. Like it's, they're just, it's, they're it, dumb, dangerous. Is it, is it a, is it like a, is it like a bachelor herd? It is. Okay. So when, when the populations reach a certain point, every single spring, you know, the young colts are kicked out of the group and then mm -hmm. they all sort of form these little like frat boy bachelor bands um which they run are, around they say they say bra a lot and drink white claws they do honestly <laughs> I, we there was a couple people that came out we were i spent six i guess total eight days out there um working on a herd for gather and it just wasn't in the cards but we sat with one of the stallion herds that night and they just are constantly fighting with each other and like just messing with each other but they always just come up to each other and they're like, wait, you have balls? I also have balls. We both have balls. <laughs> and they just, they're so dumb. Can, in can, that I just, can I just be honest? I mean, you seriously just described me and my friends. See? Like, I mean, you know, I just, it's just, I think it's just programmed in the male genome. It is. That's, that's, that is, that's awesome. I don't know if I can say that on a podcast. <laughs> oh, you can, you can. That does not, that does not cover the explicit. So we're we're good. We don't Fair we don't enough. get the explicit for this one. So Fair that's a, that's that's a different show. That's the roundtable of mediocre horsemen, and we can talk all about horse balls on that one because that one's explicit. Perfect. <laughs> so yeah, that sounds that that sounds that sounds fun. It's pretty cool. So. Aaron, it was a pleasure to have you on. I want to have you on again. Um, Definitely. I want to have you on with, with Sarah. And you. I want to watch you and Sarah have a conversation. I'm just going to sit back and, and drink an adult <laughs> beverage and just watch magic happen. Fair enough. Maybe so, we'll convince Sarah to come come east and help with this. <laughs> she's trying to convince me to, to go west. And I've got so many friends out, you know, in this industry. Being in the western industry, you run across a lot of people out west. You and, do. I, and I'm like, I'm east of the Mississippi. We're a different breed than you guys. And you know, they're uh, they're they're totally listen, different species. Once an Appalachian, always an Appalachian. <laughs> yeah. So I don't I don't I don't know Something how I'll make about it grass and rain that just speaks to your soul here. <laughs> yeah. It you know, Appalachia is a very, very special place. And it always it hold hold a place in my heart. Not only is it beautiful, it, there's genuine people there. Even though, even though they have a hard row of stumps to plow and yeah. it have been dealt a very crappy deck of cards that is um, true it is a is a gorgeous place so and most people they don't see real Appalachia they go to a ski resort or they go to exactly or watch know. wrong turn and base yeah, or, all of their decisions off of that you know so like being where my family is from is where deliverance is based oh no what <laughs> yeah so <clears throat> yeah oh wow so yeah another another great uh promotional film for Appalachia that's true the <laughs> stories I could tell on that front oh my goodness so, but uh but but yes yes I'll have to get you on with the rare buckaroo yeah definitely the, B, the, BL, the BLM queen and there we uh, go <laughs> just do a, just do a whole just I'll have to call the episode getting feral with Aaron and Sarah the getting feral I love that so <laughs> 
that's what this one's going to be called getting getting feral with Aaron. Oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so, you know, I got to be good at something coming up with names of things is about the only thing I'm good at. No, Somebody, I've seen your content. You're pretty good. <laughs> don't flatter me. Actually, I'll, I'll, I I'll make more content if you keep doing that. <laughs> I think you reached out at one point. I had one uh, rescue to stardom in Harrisburg and yeah. we were going to do this then. And then internet freaked out kind of thing. Um, and then all of this sort of came public and it was the work I was already doing, but it was, I realized that today. Yeah. Somebody, somebody had reached out to me and said, you've got to find this gal on Facebook. And I said, okay. And I think uh, I kind of thumbed through your Facebook and saw what you're doing. And I think I sent you a message and I was still trying to get this off the ground at that point in time. Yeah. And I, I was reaching out to about everybody I could reach out to that I could think would be a, a good guest. Yeah. And I, we kind of lost kind of a lot. And a lot of that was on me. We kind of lost touch because I had other things just kind of blow up overnight. Yeah. And I had so many irons on the fire and it seemed like every, I did. I remember, I think I added you on TikTok. I think we're friends on Facebook and everything. Yeah, I think so. And your content kept coming up every week, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm going, well, I, I, I think I've already contacted her um oh. let me double check and and see what's up and always just got on the back burner because i have like i have schedules of people that yeah. when they are free because i have a lot of people that that show and so i have to get them in and their That's shows are, you know and so i got down and all of a sudden i took a I burn out and i literally took a week off from everything and I, while i was sitting there i was like you know what this schedule is going in the trash i'm just gonna get the people that i want on yeah and then right at the top of the list i was like Aaron and I went back through and I was just looking through like all of my DMs everywhere and it was like you got to get feral Aaron have you heard about Aaron that's have so you heard wild. about the work that she's doing so people are paying attention that's really good to know um because a lot of times in all of this it gets a little it's it's overwhelming when you kind of zoom out on it and you're like oh my gosh and I've given a lot I mean and when I say I've given everything I mean it literally figuratively physically mentally emotionally all of it so to reach a point where it's paying off people are yeah. listening and help is coming and they're willing to just listen about it and understand it i mean it's it's overwhelming honestly yeah the you know and the, the only thing i can hope for for you is a social media blow up to where yeah. you can get a and that was another reason why I wanted you to come on. I don't have the huge, the, the biggest platform, but hell, it's a it's a bigger platform than what most people have. That's true. And I, and I wanted, I you know, and as soon as I saw your story, the first thing that popped my mind, I hate to keep saying it, is the Cumberland because that's a well, it's a horse that means a lot to me. Yeah. And you know, it it, it I was like, I hate this. I hate everything about this. And I yeah. immediately kind of understood being you know, culturally in Appalachian, I immediately understood what was going on is yeah. so, so maybe, it was kind of like when you see luncheon meat set down in the beer aisle of a grocery store, somebody made a hard decision. Yeah. And when you see these horses, you know, someone made a hard decision. And that's the thing. And that it was their only option. It was that or, you know, their, their kids didn't eat. Yeah. This is what it is. Yeah. I would, honest to God, I I would do the exact same thing. If I was given that hand of cards, I'd sooner Listen, turn my horse loose. It's, it's it's no different than if your barn's on fire. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just their life is on fire. The whole region is on fire. <laughs> you 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 open the stall, you open the gate, and yeah. you go. You know, maybe I can get them later. At least exactly. they're alive. Exactly. Because if you don't think nobody turned one of those horses out and cried and squalled and refused to look into the oh, mirror, you're crazy. And I've seen the way their great grandchildren still come up and look at these horses, and they covet them and they love them, and it's it's a part of the heritage. But I think it's a part of heritage that also needs help being preserved. That's um, right. And, and through management is the only way that's going to happen. Yep, I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a firm believer in keeping it to a point where there is a manageable number to where everyone's yep. healthy the ecosystem is intact that's how i feel about the mustangs out west yes manageable numbers where the ecosystem's intact and that heritage can be preserved and exactly. the same way the same way with the cumberland the cumberland is a very unique horse it can be pulled off cumberland island and it can still be yeah. the cumberland horse and just do something start a registry and have an open stud book for a little while and get yeah. some you know i mean Get Hear me out. Help me fix Appalachia and I'll start knocking on doors in 10 years time when we get it all done and I'll have a hell of a resume backing me. They'd have to listen then. That's You're, my goal for BLM. You know we'll what? put Cumberland on the same list. You you got a hell of a deal. <laughs> but anything you ever need, Aaron, feel free to reach out to me. You've got my phone number. You've got it. my email. I don't know what I could actually do. Like I say, I'm a pretty big dummy, but you know, I, I know plenty of people that I, I could try to get in contact with someone. Um, I appreciate I will, that. Another reason why I wanted uh, Jess to come on tonight, she didn't pop in. Everybody listening knows who Jessman Rice is. She co-hosts right here. She is from Southern Ohio, and her grandparents lived in the Appalachian section of Southern Ohio near okay. Kentucky. And so she's like me culturally. She's close, yeah. Yeah, and so that is someone who is close to that area to where I could finagle her to be like. I mean, that's here's, from Southern Ohio. That's two hours probably to the closest mine site with herd population. Yeah, and you know, and it, I almost wish I had gotten in touch with you while I was in Lexington for Road to the Horse. It was too, honestly, I think this works out better because ally or appalachian legacy initiative is new even though the work has been going on for a long time um not a long time i think we're at you know 18 months ish or whatever operating um ally is new yeah so we had a plan but it wasn't great like we were still fine-tuning like figuring out everything where now i can talk with you with utmost confidence i know how to resolve this we just need help doing it that's right and i want um and i think my audience would appreciate it too i'd love to have you on every every quarter at least and just give That'd us be an incredible and just give us an update what's going on and refresh yeah. everyone what's going on can, can we do that deal deal <laughs> i'll come up i'll help i can uh i'll send selenium blocks or whatever you need that way Perfect. and um I'll come up this fall and I will make sure that at least my small audience knows that I appreciate this is a thing that. and you need help. I so. appreciate it. SOS. That's right. SOS. So, so guys, I greatly appreciate everyone checking in. Make sure to check out, um, if you love audiobooks, head on over to audio. Uh, uh, but I can't even talk. Listen to that. 
audibletrial forward slash Day. You get a free audiobook on me for signing up for a 30-day free trial. Um, thank you to Anchor.fm. Uh, Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast. You're automatically on Spotify. They got all your tools right there, so you do not have – I'm a big dummy, and I can do it. Um, but for Aaron, I am Ryan, and we will catch you guys next time.